so uh, we are, um, oh, we're talking about humility, right? This is just hard. I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's uh, I'll tell you what my instinct is every week, and, and Abby will tell you, I've had such a hard time, like, I'll have five or six different sermon ideas, and, five, and these things go through my mind, and, and it, it, I get to like Friday, and I'm like, no, all of that's horrible, <laughs> right? It, it's, none of that's any good, and what's really interesting is how without even thinking about it is, is I can kind of like try to deviate into talking about the information of humility instead of really what God wants us to be humble about. Or, or what really is the root of humility? Okay, here's the one thing I know I've failed at plenty, and I know you have too, trying to be humble. Or a, a better thing that we do, let me make people think I'm not proud and arrogant. Right? Let me do something or say something so you won't think I'm arrogant. And what we've been talking about is, I think the way God frames it is let's embrace humility. Right, let's live that way. You know what, man? It stinks being a disciple and just living your life trying not to do stuff. It just is a horrible place to be because at the end of the day, really a good day would be, man, if I went through the whole day and just didn't do bad stuff. That's a horrible religion, isn't it? I mean, that really is so boring. And, it's, and, you, and we're setting ourselves up for failure. Uh, of the idea of, okay, if, if I reach the end of the day and I haven't done anything bad, whatever that is, okay, and, and that's what victory is, what, what is there to wake up to the next day other than, I hope I don't mess up today? And, and, and sadly enough, I mean, Christianity seems to be taking that where, where I see more and more Christians who are so much, without life. It's, it's the way I describe it, you know, is, is they're not excited about God. They're not excited about the gospel. They're scared to mess up. Okay. And that I'm telling you, man, I mean, think about it in any one of your jobs or professions. If you approach your profession and all you want to do is not mess up, how much would you love what you do and how well would you do at it? How much would you be eager to go into the office or be around your coworkers if the pressure of just not messing up, you know, and Liz is like, I do that all the time. Like, I'm just like, I have children in my class, you know. I mean, the future of our country depends on Liz. So uh, I'm just saying. Uh, but, but we have been talking about this, and I just want to plant that in your head because I think it's so important. Whatever it takes to break free from the mindset of let me not do something bad, rather than let me live for Jesus. Okay, those two are very different. I don't know what that looks like in your head. I just want to plant that there, okay? We're talking about embracing humility. And really, this is the, there's only one thing that allows us to be truly humble. And I, I think everyone in here, if we were to go, how many people want to truly be humble the way Jesus tells us to be? Everyone would go, yeah, me, of course. That, that's what I want. I, I want that more than anything except it eludes all of us, all right? And, and, and again, there, there is something that unlocks it, and it isn't being a type A personality. It isn't getting out a spreadsheet and going, okay, these five things I'm going to do today, and at the end of the day, I'll be humble, all right? It just isn't that, okay? It's something that's scarier in the church, okay? It, it, it's just something scarier. It's the gospel, okay? It, it just is, because here's the reason why is the gospel forces us to make a decision on, do, am I really doing this because I love Jesus? 
Or did I join the Christian church because mom and dad told me to do it? Or, or I joined the Christian church because it's just a, a club of good people. And, and I love it. it. They help me be better people. A lot of times that's what we look for, right? And, and you go to church like, man, I, I leave church and they've helped me become a better person. And there's nothing wrong with that, okay? And self-help stuff is great and all that's amazing, except the gospel tells us that Jesus says, when you come to me, understand something. I've rescued you when no one else wanted you. I rescued you. When, when, not when you were at your best either. When, man, when I saw you and you were a derelict, I was like, that's the person I'm dying for. All right? When nobody else wanted to have anything, but before you were, you know, whatever you are in the world, God was like, no, that's who I want. I want to adopt you. All right? And what the gospel does, it's scary for this reason. You may sit here and go, that has no impact on me whatsoever. But I don't want to go to hell. <laughs> I, I want to go to heaven, but the gospel, like, like, dude, Keith, if that's all you talk about, that's not really exciting for me. Like, give me three points to do, man. Come on. Give me something practical. Tell me to go do something, because when I do something spiritual, then I feel like God really loves me. That's what Jesus is happy with me. When my preacher tells me to go have a quiet time, and I have quiet time seven days uh, a week, and I'm going, yes, now Jesus loves me. That's not the gospel. To go, no, I've done enough for Jesus to love me. It's the opposite of that. Except, I'll tell you what, man, if that's what we are addicted to, man, we are going to be just some mopey-looking folks. Man, this is not good. This is not fun. And then you want to know what mopey people do? They want to make other people mopey. Then for real, man, I mean, whatever, you don't want to see someone happy. You don't want to see someone doing good because you're like, man, if it's bad for me, I want it to be bad for you. All right. Have you ever known somebody who's pouting and mopey that is just, some, it's just a bright ray of sunshine to be around? Like you leave them and you're like, wow, I love Jesus. Let me go treat people better. Never. We never say that. Okay. But the thing about this is this is what's scary about the gospel is when, when Paul said, all I did was proclaim the gospel. You're like, hold on a minute. You mean the man outside of Jesus that quite possibly might have had more effect on our planet than anyone else? His one sermon that he preached everywhere was just the gospel. That's all he said. If they had a question for him, Paul, what should we do? He'd say, live a life worthy of the gospel. Well, what does that mean? Well, what does worthy of the gospel mean to you? If you knew, if you actually knew a guy that in your worst rescued you and he walks with you and he encourages you and he guides you and he shepherds you, regardless of what you can do for him, well, what does that mean to be worthy of that, okay? That's like the simplest thing in the world, okay? I mean, me and you, we make this too hard. Like, we want, like, specific, and specifics are fine, right? But not when they get rid of the gospel. It just don't. So hopefully, we just remember that. Now, I will say this. If, if you're sitting here and you're going, the gospel has no effect on me. Like, it doesn't inspire me. Like, like what inspires me is when I go in and, like, do something better than someone else spiritually, all right, then understand something. You're, you're, in a re, you're in some kind of club. It's not the club following Jesus, though. That's very important to understand is, is if the gospel isn't what is inspiring us, we're just part of a club, all right? We're just like playing around, okay? This is, I love this quote. We looked at it last week is just being able to articulate the gospel with accuracy is one thing. Like, like anyone can do that. 
you don't like Jesus, you can, you can articulate the gospel. But having the truth captivate your soul is quite another. The goal of the gospel is to produce people consumed with a passion for God and a love for others. See, that changes everything. You know what? Nothing, uh, I, I don't know. Nothing really discouraged me more than like when I go through, I, I am on Twitter like other probably like old people on Twitter, right? Like not many people do that anymore, I don't think. I ask people, I'm like, the, 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 the 20 people following me are very influential. I'm just saying, okay? But, but the thing is, is, is there's, this, uh, there's this thing, a little hashtag Sunday morning. And I'm going through and I'm reading all the things that are, people are posting. And I'm going, dude, there's no helping this world. None. There's no helping this world. It's, everyone is so angry and everyone is so bitter and everyone is so much, so polarized on everything and looking for something to be wrong. All right. Except what's really interesting is, is the answer, as hard as it is to believe, is God saying, man, I'm trying to create a people consumed with passion for him and for others. And so it's not for one person to go find 50 people to change. It's each person praying, God, let me communicate this and pass this along to one other person. What if that was your goal each year? Like, I want to pass this along to one other person each year I'm alive. All right? That would be immense in the world. It it would. It would change things in unbelievable ways, okay? And so, again, it's not the idea of the information of the gospel, and being able to memorize the words and to pass them along. But has the gospel captivated your soul? Like this is why you say no to sin. Not because you just think that, oh, sin is bad. I shouldn't do it. It's like, no, 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 hold on a minute. According to the gospel, Jesus rescued me from this. I need to live a worthy life. Not to earn it back, but, but it's that idea of that's what motivates me. The love of Christ compels us, all right? And there aren't any, and I've talked to a number of you guys. When this becomes kind of like the worldview that you think through, you want to know what? It's it's much easier to be um, joyful, happy, forgiving. It's much easier to let go of bitterness. Even when, you know, stuff can kind of well up and you get all bitter about something, it's much easier to go, according to the gospel, if that's true, then shouldn't I be able to let this go? That helps, okay? And so I'm just saying, let's remember this as we're talking about humility. The gospel is the only thing that will allow us, okay? It's the only thing that will allow us to truly be humble because the gospel allows us to come into a safe place. It's vitally important. How many of you guys have ever had a term paper that looked like this? All right? Carl, you don't have to raise your hand. I know you're doing this. Carl's having like flashbacks. He's like, no, how how did my thesis get up there? Okay. (laughs) But if you've ever had a paper like this, you know, you're in school, wherever you're in school. I know Ellie's brought papers home and hers looks just like this. You know, no, I'm kidding. No, (laughs) he's going, no, 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 no. Here's the thing, though. No one likes this. You know Why? Because we really don't like correction of any kind. We just don't, okay? I mean, unless it's so superficial, all right? But the idea of correction, and I think, man, you know what? What if my life was like this, okay? What if my life was, 
one of those lives where I was like, I allowed people to come in and put the red ink on me. Hey, why don't you go ahead and circle? What do you see in me that you can help me out with? Okay, because you wonder what when, I, when you turned into paper, when I turned into paper and there was no marks on it, we thought it was perfect. We thought it was great. Have you ever turned into paper and you're like, this is perfect right here. And then you get it back and you're like, oh, my gosh. I, I, how'd that word get there? And there's no punctuation. I didn't put a period for 12 paragraphs, you know, and, and all of these kind of things, just like trying to figure it out. Um, but, but here's the thing, though. Um, th- this was another one of those, like, lessons that, um, that, that I was like, I don't want to talk about this. When we talk about humility, okay, this is a painful aspect of humility because there isn't anything that probably reveals more about how like prideful I am. And when we say that, when we're talking about humility, um, really in simple terms is understanding who God is and his greatness and having a right understanding of who I am in my weakness. All right. That I'm not the big somebody that I'm not, that I'm not, I'm not God's right hand man that he goes to for advice. Okay. I'm not the one whose opinion is always right. Right. We're talking about that kind of humility and I'm going, you know what I hate probably more than anything in the whole wide world is correction. I hate it. Murphy loves it. Murphy's like, that's what I live for is, is correction, you know. But uh, I hate this. It makes me feel horrible inside. It makes me want to defend myself. Why is it hard to teach? Because you want to know what a lot of us sitting here come from a background where correction is completely man-centered. Correction is about somebody's going to tell you to do something that they want you to start doing to help them. That's not what we're talking about. Okay, if there's something in your brain that you've got to unlearn about correction, please do it. But the Bible does teach about this. I hate it. I just do. It's painful. I don't, I don't hate it because I think it's bad. It just is, it doesn't make me feel great. All right, to, to, to experience correction of any kind. It was nice to know, though, as I looked through the Bible, it's nice to know I have plenty of company. Okay? In Proverbs 5.12, it says, you know, at the end of your life, you will lament when your physical body has been consumed, and you will say, how I hated discipline, and how I despised in my heart correction. I didn't obey my teachers. I didn't listen closely to my mentors. I'm on the verge of complete ruin before the entire community. That's pretty interesting. He's saying it's not just you individualistically. He's like, I'm in the entire community this has affected, okay? But it's nice to know, right, that we have something in common if you hate discipline. Uh, you know, uh, so today, and what their life became was just an utter wreck, right? Jeremiah writes about this. He says, Lord, don't your eyes look for faithfulness? You've struck them, but they felt no pain. You finished them off, but they refused to accept discipline or correction. They made their faces harder than rock, and they refused to return. Okay, those are Israelites. It's nice to know we have company, right? You look at that, and you're going, man, have you ever done that before? Uh, where, where you have known that God himself is correcting you. And you failed to accept it. In fact, you've become more stubborn. You've become more set. Have you ever done that? I, I, I bet you all of us have done that at some point, okay? Now, you may classify yourself as stubborn. You may not. I guarantee you we probably have experienced this at some point. This is what Jeremiah, a little later, this is what the Lord says. 
Watch yourselves. He's talking about the Sabbath. Don't pick up a load and bring it through the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. You must not carry a load out of your houses on the Sabbath day or do any work. But you have to consecrate that day just as I commanded your ancestors. And they wouldn't listen or pay attention, but became obstinate, not listening or accepting discipline or correction. The word can be used interchangeably there. Okay, so it says they wouldn't listen or pay attention. Like paying attention is you're aware of, hey, there are things happening. I'm listening. I'm here. Have you ever had that before where over maybe a period of a week, a month, a year, and you're going, wow, these dots are connecting? Similar to what Jennifer said. She's like, man, I see over the span of years these dots that are all getting connected, and now they're coming into this. We have that same thing when it comes to being corrected by God. Yeah. Is, you know, there's all this is like, oh, man, um, gosh, this person got really angry with me over this, over in this place. And then my teacher said this, and then my boss said this, and I was studying this in my Bible and, and all that kind of stuff and going, oh, it must not mean anything. All right? Or going, man, I don't want to look at that. I don't want to think about that, okay? And nobody here does. We don't want to think about the bad stuff. We don't want to think about the things that need correction, okay? And he says, the people wouldn't listen. I want you to just stop and think about that for a second. It is... For Jesus to walk in here, all right, um, and you were to go, Jesus, let, let's go to Starbucks and have a cup of coffee. I want to talk to you for a minute, okay? And you asked him the question, Jesus, do I listen to you? And am I paying attention to you? All right, what do you think he would say? All right, I want you to think about that. What would he say? Would he say, man, your life is too busy. You're going too fast to listen. You're not paying attention. You know all this stuff that I've been like rolling out in front of you and the people I've been putting in your life and you're not paying attention to it. Okay? Because I want you to just, we've got to slow down and think about that for a second here. And then in Acts 7, he says, you stiff-necked people. Uh, you know, in your mind, and I know in my mind, you think of stiff-necked people. I never am in that group. <laughs> Ever. I'm like, I'm not stiff-necked. Yeah, thank God I'm not like those guys. Right. I mean, I'm not. St- I know what's going on. I'm not stubborn. I'm not. He says he says your ears and your hearts are uncircumcised. OK, that's a very graphic like description right there. OK, I mean, that's we've Christianized that word. That's meant to be graphic. OK, it's going, dude, you haven't even had anything. You can't even hear. You can't even you don't even not only can't you hear, you don't even want to hear. All right. Have you ever have you ever felt that before where you're kind of like, I, listen, I don't want to hear that anymore. I'm tired of hearing about don't complain. I'm tired of hearing about help somebody else learn. the. I'm tired of hearing about, you're just like, man, he says they don't want to. They, they can't hear and they don't want to hear. They're resisting the Holy Spirit. Okay. And then Paul writes to Timothy here, and he says, listen, Timothy, I charge you solemnly before God and Jesus who's going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing in his kingdom, proclaim the message. Okay? That word right there is not just for... T- it's used all over the place. That actually is evangelism. Proclaim the good news. Okay? Proclaim the message. Persist in it, whether it's convenient or not. Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. Now, we may stop there, and you may have a favorite one of those. You say, I love, I love rebuke. Like, that's how people hear the good news from me, is rebuke, right? Come on, man. I mean, relax a little bit on that one, okay? I mean, it's like, yes, rebuke, correct, and encourage. 
to me, in my mind, I think we've got to go way more on the encouragement side, not because I think it's got to be out of, I think rebuke and correct has always been kind of like our go-to. And I think encouragement is one of those things that we don't use as much. Okay, But he says, rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. He said, because here's the time will come when people won't tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, they'll multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear something new. Or in some of the older versions, you're itching, you'll put people in your life to to say what your itching ears want to hear, right? He says, this is what the outcome of not wanting correction is. This is the outcome of not wanting to... To, to hear this. I don't want the red ink in my life. I don't want somebody doing this, okay? I'm going to actually gather people around me, right? And when they, you know, for the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine, you may think you know what that means, <laughs> okay? You may go, well, it's salvation doctrine. Certainly that's what it means. It doesn't. It means like the at preaching the actual gospel, when somebody won't put up with the sound truth of the gospel. And so I'm going to put people around me that are going to say what I want to hear. Uh, it's, it's amazing. The more we've talked about gospel, the more I've heard from people, and, and here and there, that are like, dude, this, this, like, this, this doesn't resonate with me. Right? Because we want, like, give me, tell me something to do. I'm telling you, every morning the gospel tells me what to do. Every single morning, it's clear as can be, all right? But he said, there will be a time, I think we live in that time, where we're going to get people around us that are going to say exactly what we want them to tell us. And we're not going to put up with with the sound truth of the gospel anymore, all right? We've got to avoid this at all costs. Well, how? We immerse ourselves passionately into the word of God, Okay. Now, here's the thing about it is, is, is the more I study this out, the more I wrote this word down of correction, the more I, I just I didn't like it anymore. Okay? It was great to look into the Bible and see that, oh, okay, there's a strong history of folks following God that didn't like correction. Okay? That was phenomenal. It was great to see because I can do that. I mean, in many ways, the teachers I can surround myself with tend to be on the Internet or in a book. Like, I want to go find an author. Man, I like that guy because he says exactly what I want to hear. I don't like that guy because he doesn't say what I want to hear, okay? Or this sermon or whatever it is, okay? So the more I'm thinking about it, I'm going, hold on a minute. Um, Okay, if I'm going to embrace humility, um, there is an aspect of what God is calling his people to be is be open to correction. Primarily, God is saying, I'm in charge of that correction, all right? And I may use man, and I may use my word, and I may use circumstances, and I may use your neighbor that you hate. I may use your boss that you despise. But ultimately, first and foremost, God is in charge of the correction, okay? That's very, very important to keep in mind, okay? Um, But it's still that idea of how can I get myself to a place? And then I remember, again, the gospel is the only thing that allows us to come out and be in an unsafe feeling place. See, because when I'm open to correction... I don't feel safe. I, I, I don't feel safe. I start, you know what I start doing? I start thinking that, man, if, if me and Chris are talking and Chris is like, let's say he's offering me some, we're talking and he's saying, hey, what about this? The first thing that goes into my mind is, 
something's wrong with Chris. Like, like, are his motives pure? Okay. Like, does he really mean that? Is this just something he's trying to get from me? Okay. I mean, there's so much that kind of keeps us from this. Okay. And I want you to just ask yourself, what, again, in the scenario of Jesus coming up and saying, hey, hey, Jennifer, let's talk. You know, hey, Rich, let's talk. And you were to go, Jesus, am I easily corrected? What would he say? What kind of advice would he give? Because it's interesting, in his ministry, he offered correction often. He was saying, hey, y'all think this way, but I say this. Hey, I know you want to do that. And you know what's interesting is, is most of the time, he didn't give you a motive of why you were doing that. He didn't say, hey, because you're a jerk. That's why you hang on to the Sabbath. But I tell you. He says, no, 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 you do that. But I'm telling you this. All right? I mean, it's just perfect. It's, it's all in there, okay? But the real question is this. This is the million dollar. Why would I do this? Why on earth would I want in any way, shape, or form, I don't care if it's out of the Bible or from a human being or from an angel themselves to come down and correct me. Help me with this. Why would, why? Why would we want this? This seems like it's against any kind of life to the full. It's to be open to correction. Why would we? What, what do you think? Do you have any thoughts on it? Do you, maybe you're stumped too and you're going, oh my gosh, yeah, that's a good question. Why would I want this again? Is it just because I'm in here in the Madden Center on a Sunday? Pruning the vine. So tell me about that. Pruning the vine, like, what do you do in a pr- Like, explain, like, if you're pruning a vine, why do you do it? For the health and the fruit, the health of the plant, and putting the energy towards the fruit of the vine instead of just random yeah. shoots. Did Jesus ever talk about that? He did, didn't he? Right. I mean, he actually said that like, I, listen, I will. My father will prune. But you give a you're going, oh, he does that for a reason, because it's it's healthy. It's a healthy process. Like when when God was inventing us as human beings. He didn't say I'm inventing you perfectly. He invented us to be over time pruned, corrected, honed, sharpened. Right. And part of that builds a really great community, okay? What else do you think? What do you think? Yeah. I'm trying to deceive myself. Yeah. Thinking I'm okay. Yeah. Thinking I'm, I'm doing really well. It's like my, my heart's deceitful, so right. you know, I need to have. Yeah. So, that, so that's what brings up a really great question. Um, do you believe that you can deceive yourself? Okay, I mean, no, 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 hold on a minute. There's one thing you're going, oh, yeah, yeah, I can do it. But then when it comes down, you're going, but I get ticked off when people try to correct me. <laughs> but, but I don't like looking at my Bible and seeing I got to change something, you know, and, and not even from an opinion of somebody else, but I don't like when somebody else uses the Bible to correct me. But, but I'll be like, no, I get it. I can deceive myself. That doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, you know, I mean, because it's like I get this, but I refuse to really like embody it. OK, but what Sue says is so important is there isn't anybody we fool in a greater way than ourselves. There just isn't. All right. And so it is. It's it's so helpful to have this. All right. You know, what's amazing in the Bible. I love more than anything is um, a lot of times we think of correction as something harsh or painful. And the entirety of the Bible, 66 books, is some of the most gentle correction you can possibly ask for. I mean, it's, it's this gospel-based correction, which is, man, I've already proven to you and shown you, you don't have to do something to make me like you. 
but I want you to be healthy, right? I, I, I want you to, to know me, all right? So this is 66 books of gentle correction, all right? What else do you think of? What else when you're, you know, as, as, as you're thinking about that, going, why would I be interested in any way, shape, or form to have any kind of correction come into my life? Do you have I anything? The only way to be like Jesus truly, but the way I'm thinking about it specifically right now is, is Jesus knew other people exactly the way that they needed to be known, mm-hmm. needed to be treated, mm-hmm. and we aren't that way. Yeah. And especially, and I think in my life, I treat people the way that I assume they want to be treated based on my experience and my needs. Yeah. But everyone else thinks completely different, and yeah. there's no way for me to understand how someone else thinks and wants to be treated without being corrected and doing something wrong. Yeah. That comes really to life in marriage. Right. right. Lindsay does not think the way that I think. And, yeah. you know, for me, Pity. I can go through life and, and I like to be acknowledged. That's yeah. kind of just, right. I, I like yeah. that. I yeah. like being in front of people to yeah. a certain degree. Yeah. Lindsay wants to be encouraged. She wants to be, you know, uh, shown that I care, but that's not how I think because I right. don't really, yeah. I don't really, that doesn't affect me. Right. And so it's hard for me to understand that. Right. But I have to be corrected yeah. and fail in situations with her and with other people to learn that. So Jesus already knows. Absolutely. It, he does, and that's, this is the whole humility side of it of going, you know, I really am not the sole authority on all things relational, on all things theological. On all things spirit, I'm, I'm not that authority, okay? And, and far too often, we want that. Like, we want to be that instead of going, you know who is the authority? God. He got it. Jesus gets it. And going, man, you know what? There's a really good chance I don't get it the way I think I get it. And if that's the truth, it really would be very helpful for everyone around me. Because remember, one of the presuppositions of the entire gospel is that it's in community, not individualistically. There isn't anything better in a community than people go to think, I don't know everything. And man, I would really love to learn how to be corrected in order to be a greater value to my community. I would love that, all right? And so it's such a different look, and the gospel is saying, hey, you want to, here's the other thing the gospel says about, about correction. The gospel makes it safe to fail. I, I, I'm telling you, I, in, in the span of, we, we've done campus ministry for a while, and I think since like 2000 we've done campus ministry, and I would say over the last five or six years, I've never in my life seen an epidemic among students, and I don't mean just our campus students, I mean in general, that the fear of failure is the greatest, most overpowering emotion that people feel. Yeah. It is, there's nothing more painful than to think that you failed. In fact, we've had campus students say that. They say, Keith, all you want me to do is fail. When you, when you try to get students to think, you just want me to fail. You don't want me to do good because there's such a fear and a, and a physical fear of failure. And what's really amazing is, is most of the people that we know, that we really admire and we really look up to and we really appreciate their character and integrity and maybe what they've even done in their position and job, are people who have overcome the fear of failure. Right? And the God, there isn't anything safer than Jesus saying, no, you can come out and fail and that doesn't, that's not your worth. Like you can come out and be corrected and it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. All right. It's because everyone's in that boat. All right. And so that's one of the, really the takeaways is the idea of maybe this, just this week, I've got to 
I've got to step out of my comfort zone into a place where I may fail when it comes to following Jesus. I may not do it perfectly. I may not say it perfectly. But let me step out. And you want to know what? If I fail, it's, I can understand this is a totally safe place to be. And, and you want to know what? I can be corrected safely. All right? That's a, it's huge, all right? I'm just, I'm just saying, okay? But it's interesting. In Hebrews 12, we get the why. That there's actually a purpose for this. Have you ever thought that God does things with no purpose whatsoever? Like, why are you allowing these things to happen, okay? And many of you have read this whole section, but he says um, that, you know, we've all had fathers who have disciplined us. We've all needed discipline. Discipline doesn't feel good. It says right down there, uh, for they disciplined us. Our fathers did for a short time based on what seems good to them. God does it for our benefit so that we can share his holiness. That's a very Christian word right there. I mean, how many of you got up? I'm sure the young kids got up this morning and said, all I want to do is share his holiness. Did y'all say that? I mean, how many people got up and said, nothing I want more than to share his holiness today. All right. You've actually thought it, but we didn't use these words. All right. Is, is the, the better way to describe it is, is to share in, in, in the person of God. His separateness, his separateness from sin, his separateness from bitterness, his separateness uh, to hopelessness. His, he's completely se- I don't think we understand that when we're with him in heaven, that the, what it is like to be separated completely from all sin and hopelessness and anger and bitterness. I don't think we understand that. And he's saying, actually, I'm disciplining you so you can share in the oneness with me. The separateness from the world, the messiness, the joy and the peace, right? That's why I'm disciplining you. Doesn't that make a difference? It it will only make a difference, though, is if that's what you want. I mean, if you signed up to follow Jesus and your complete desire isn't to know him more, but you signed up to follow Jesus to get something from him, this will have no impact on you. Because you'll think in your mind, okay, you're disciplining me. If I endure it, will you give me what I want? Have you ever done that before? Okay, I'll have a good attitude, God, but will you give me what I want? Will you start answering my prayers faster? Will you start, like, taking it easy on me? Will you let me have more money? Will you let me have that car? Will you let me have that house? Will you let me have that? What will you do for me if I endure this? And he's saying, well, actually, the purpose of my discipline is that you'll share with me in my holiness, and my fear is, is that in the Christian world, that's very discouraging for most people. I'm going to go through a hard thing just to share in his holiness? Like, don't I get, like, a girlfriend out of it? Don't I get a spouse out of it? Don't I get a car out of it? Don't I get a promotion out of it? Don't I, I, really? That doesn't sound good at all to share in his holiness. But here's the truth of the matter is, there is nothing inside of us that, that that's what we've been looking for in everything is the peace of God, the clarity of God, the hope of God, the joy of God. The fa- that's what we've been looking for in all the wrong places. And he's saying, well, no, actually, I'm going to correct you. And that's going to mean something because it's going to help you. And it doesn't seem enjoyable, but painful later on. How many weeks is that in Greek? What is later on? Is that like the Greek term for later on is three days, right? 
No. <laughs> but, but he just says later on. Don't you hate that? Whoever wrote Hebrews, man. Later on, can you give me a day and make it easier? You know, seven days later. Ten days later. One day later. That would be so much easier. You say, hey, later on. You want to know what? It yields the fruit of peace and righteousness. Man. Not self-righteousness. Righteousness. To those who have been trained by it, that have allowed themselves to be corrected. That's hard, man. Let's get the ball rolling here a little bit, okay? This is heavy. That's hard. Could you roll that rock over, do you think? I mean, that's looks like it might be kind of tough, whatever that person's doing there, okay? But, but here's the thing is, as abstract as that might even be to go, hold on a minute, humility and correction, and, and, and I know I don't want just a list of to-dos, but I've got to get the ball rolling somehow, okay? That's not a list of to-dos, but there are some things that have to become active in our life to get the ball rolling. Have you ever done that before? And once it's going, then you're going, oh, now I'm getting it. Now I'm learning. Now I'm understanding it, okay? There's a few things that we've got to do to get the ball rolling, Okay. I want you to just, you can think about it. I want you to ask this question every single morning. God, what are you trying? Maybe you know. I hope you do to go, Man, you know what? I re- I've been praying. I've been studying. This single message has been coming through people and people who are Christians and people who are not Christians and people who I like and people I don't like. And I'm hearing this and I'm, okay, God, what are you trying to correct? And you may go, oh, man, Keith, is that another thing I've got to do? I've got to start thinking about the, oh, listen, here's what I'll say is, you don't have to ask this question if you've already been perfected. I mean, if you're there already, don't worry about it. If, if correction doesn't mean anything to you, don't worry about it. If, if you want to forget all the verses we read, don't worry about this question, okay? But is this something you're thinking? on the top, Is this in your mind? You're going, God, if the gospel's true, and I'm not all that, I'm not as awesome as I think I am. The movie that's playing in my mind that I'm the star of, that, that I'm a mixture of The Rock and Tom Cruise, you know, that I'm all... Don't look at me that way. <laughs> the movie that's playing that I am so... I'm going, hold on a minute. You mean the gospel says I'm not that awesome, God, but you're that awesome. And, and there's got to be something that I don't have on straight. I don't want to be stiff-necked. God, what do you want to correct in me, Okay. A lot of times if we're just man-centered, we just go right to people. Hey, what do I need to correct? I think we have to start with God. Yeah. We've got to go, what are, you, what are you trying to correct? And then the second part is, it's like, how would you articulate your obedience? Okay. So this is a question to ask in fellowship, in family group, at Y Beach, at midweek, whatever it is, is to say, okay, hey, 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 Rich, um, tell me, man, what's God been trying to work in you? Oh, you know, he just... Uh, I stopped beating up old ladies. That's what uh, he was trying to correct me. It's been rough, right? <laughs> right, right, right. No, but the thing is, is, is can I articulate what repentance and obedience look like? All right, it's not enough to say repentance is just coming out and saying, this is what God's trying to correct. We're going, well, what does this actually look like? All right, this is vitally important for there to be some kind of honing of this is could you do it? If, if we were to just put you on the spot right now, you say, God is working on this. And these are the steps, man, it's, it's really tough because I've got to get out of my comfort zone. That's really what getting the ball rolling is all about. And then the next step, 
Uh, right? I mean, listen, pe- people don't save you. Pe- people aren't the complete all-knowing of all things. But I will tell you this, if you aren't asking someone, you are missing out on a vital aspect of God's correction. If you aren't asking somebody, and, and maybe a diverse population of people, right? Not, not, not the guy that just you know what they're going to say and they're going to cut you slack on everything and all that kind of stuff. The name that maybe popped in your head and you're like, nah, I don't want to talk to that person. <laughs> I don't want to ask them. Maybe that's the person to ask. Okay. And not so you could give me a list to do, but because, listen, really? Um, God, speak through people in my life and let me hear that. All right? Yeah. I have a question because I'm trying to figure out this yeah. practically. Yeah. So on the first one, how do I know what God is trying to correct in me as opposed to what I think I need to change or what Sue told me I need to fix? Sure. Yeah. Right. Without a doubt. And so part of this is, is kind of working to con- really to connect dots. Is Part of this is the starting, to me, is the starting heart and prayer of submission to God and God, I, I want to know you and I know you're, you're not silent in my life. And I know there are things that you want to prune and correct and change in order for me to share in your holiness. Like help me be clear to understand that help speak through people. And then I think we have to have some time. This is why just like zipping through like a 15 to 20 minute thing and hoping it works, but going, hold on a minute. Let me connect some dots, right? Let me connect some dots. Let me go, oh, you know, Sue has been staying on me about this. You know, and then I know this one, that, and I've been studying this out, and, and I know all these things, and it's like, hold on a minute. God, I'm going to keep praying through this. Like, what's the root here? What's the connected dot? What's the thing that you've been trying, you've been knocking on my door about? And let me ask a couple people, and is there any, like, clarity in that? Does it help clear it up? All right? And, and I think the thing about this is we have to stay at it um, until it clears up. I don't think it'll be that hard. I don't think it'll be that... You know, I don't think it'll be so difficult that we'll go, God, I just don't know what you're trying to do, all right? So I think it's a process of working through it in prayer, through the Word of God, of actually approaching the Word of God, not from a standpoint of let me find the information out, but let me, God, prune me, correct? I want to know you. Your way is perfect and my way, like my opinion, I think is, but I just want to be more like you. Okay, and that's a different way of looking at it. So there's a little bit of a process here, and it isn't just maybe a couple-minute thing. It might be a week-long thing to get the ball rolling, right? But it's really bringing people in. And then if I think the next step is even if, let's say we get through all that and God, I'm praying, I'm studying, I don't see the connected dots. Shine more light on it. Bring more people in, right? Bring, bring folks in who are going to go, man, I want to, like, no, I'm talking about gospel-centered. I'm not talking about bringing people in to tell me what to do. I'm talking about helping people. Help me discern this. It's very interesting. In the early American church, this wasn't an uncommon practice to where people would, it, as the decisions became more difficult or as discernment became more difficult, they would actually bring more and more and more people in. And in fact, there was actually something that was done in the early American church where People would sit maybe for an hour or two hours in front of a group of people and say, I'm going to present this to you. All I want you to do for the next two hours is ask me questions. And they're just asking questions, just poking away and just throwing darts at it. What, have you thought about this? And what about that? And do you ever do this? And, and it's just that idea of like discerning, right? And so this gets the ball rolling 
But I think when, there's a, when you get stuck in this and you're just not sure, I think bringing more light on it, right, if that makes sense, of, hey, let me bring a couple of trusted brothers in on this, and, man, can you help me kind of dig through it? Because depending on the level of correction, it may be more or less obvious or more or less painful even, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it's a good, because, I mean, there's, there's obviously a, a million things I, I should probably fix and right. be different. But the, the question of what is God trying to correct right. me, that, that's kind of, that, one's, that one's kind of one of those things that's hard to answer. And, and this is why it's also so vital that every single member of the community of God's kingdom is serious about humi- gospel-centered humility. Because it's so vital, because that's the only way we're going to help. It. Man, if you're the only guy doing this, and we're just worldly and selfish and prideful, we can't help you because what we're going to end up doing is sitting down and we're going to end up giving you all kinds of like, like, like what you said, there's a million things I can change. Like I'm the fruit tree with like 11 million lemons on it that need to be changed when really God might go, you know what? If you just get that root right there, all that junk goes away, right? Gospel, humbly gospel centered disciples will help us get to that place. Because the fruit is enormous. But really, God, God really does deal with the root, doesn't he? I mean, the Bible would have to be 10 million pages long if he were to deal with every single symptom rather than, but this is the root, right? And, and most often the root comes down to pride and self-centeredness, idolatry, right? The root comes down to these things, and, and we've got to discern. We've got to have those conversations that may last longer than we want them to, but that's also where God walks with us, too. I don't know if that makes a ton of sense, but I think that's where I would start. All right. Um, so we're going to take communion. All right. Um, and, and again, I just want to kind of give you a starting point for this because I want you to think, again, is this idea, if you ever, if, if, you, if you want to really dig into a deeply, articulated gospel, read the first three chapters of Ephesians. I think if we personalize that, there isn't a more emotional three chapters of the New Testament than those. When Paul is writing and saying, man, you guys were like the adopted kid that no one wanted, but I did. You know, and he's talking about, man, I've had a plan for you. When you were the worst thing in the world, I had a plan for you. I mean, there isn't anything more that connects our heart to the gospel than this. And hopefully that's our starting point with everything, okay? And as we're taking communion and we're going, wow, I want to remember the gospel, right? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the good news, not the information of the good news, but really, wow, this is personal for me, but it's personal for the community as well, okay? And here's really, this is kind of the jumping off point that hopefully pulls you out of your comfort zone just a little bit. Um, what is the single, and just discuss this a little bit, what's the single greatest hurdle for you, okay, that keeps you from embracing godly correction? Okay, that's what I want to say is godly correction. What is the hurdle? What's that thing? And, um, and in light of the gospel, all right, it, it, Hopefully it changes everything and thinking, well, if the gospel's true, then that hurdle isn't the hurdle I think it is. Like I can come out safely and courageously and overcome this. 
I can embrace humility. And in that humility is God going, there, I love you more than you can ever imagine me loving you, but there's some things that have to be corrected. Right? And I think it's going to change. I think it changed our relationships. But the other side of it is, is, is praying that God will send a single person to you for you to pass this on to them. Not the information, the conviction. Not the information, the passion.